This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. I've been excited about this. I've been checking out some great articles, and this woman definitely inspired me. Her name is Heather Monroe, and we're going to get to know her together. But before that, let me tell you a little bit about Heather. Heather is an integrative psychotherapist and licensed clinical social worker and the director of program development for Newport Academy, a series of evidence-based treatment centers for teens, young adults, and families struggling with mental health issues. Heather specializes in treating trauma and its destructive effects on individuals and families, and also has an expertise with teenage depression and anxiety. She has worked in the fields of teen treatment and prevention for more than 10 years and firmly, ooh, this is going to be a good one, believes that what we eat and how we eat, it are closely associated with our emotions and mental health and well-being, which is the article I was reading and why I wanted to meet Heather. Welcome. How are you, Heather? I'm doing well. Thank you. So, Heather, where where do you live? Where are you from, girl? I don't know anything about you. <laughs> I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Okay. And I've kind of lived all over. I'm settled now in Nashville, Tennessee with my family. Oh. Where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. I went to Skidmore in Saratoga Springs for undergrad, and then I went to Hunter College for my social work master's degree. I have a question for you. And, you know, I always ask a bunch of questions that uh, I have my audience. I say that this is my guest. I want to know, you know, what you want to ask them and, you know, anything relevant to her topic. And so the one thing I thought was very interesting, a 16-year-old girl asked is, what made her get into this field? You got to ask her. I just want to know. I said, okay. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, I always say you treat what you know, right? Okay. So I was on my own path. I was on my own path of healing. Um, and as a teenager, I struggled with my own mental health issues, depression, Um, which then led into a pretty severe um, substance use disorder. Um, And I had, you know, all different sorts of ways that my my mental illness um, looked uh, manifested, like a substance use disorder, cutting, um, eating issues, things of that nature. And then as I started to recover and I found my own healing, I was able to have a blueprint on how to help people uh, that were in similar situations, especially younger people. Um, and so I, when, I, when I was able to heal myself, I decided that I was going to dedicate my life to helping others recover and heal from their own traumas. You know what? It's so true. Someone just said to me, you know, when you're hiring a therapist or a counselor, you want to not, you know, just hear what they have to say, but you want to know they walk the walk and talk the talk. Now, I don't know if that's always necessary, 
but it does have a lot more validity when they've gone through it themselves and came out the other side. I don't know what you think about that. Maybe you've met mm. a lot of therapists that they haven't. I think that everyone has a story. I, I truly believe that. I think that everybody has a story of recovery and healing. And I think that it's not just limited to people that want to help people. Um, but I absolutely have found that everybody in the, in the helping um, profession got there for a very special reason. Yeah. And, and it came from yeah. a reason either through their own experience or through a family member's experience, which then created their own experience. So like I said, I think everyone has a story of recovery in them. Mm. So how old were you when you were going through all that? And then what age did you start turning the corner? I'm going to skip ahead to some of the other questions that were asked. Like, when did you see yourself turning yeah. the corner? So I, uh, I think I started struggling with depression when I was, you know, usually when the hormones hit. So 13, I'd say. Okay. And then, um, I, and then, I got into substances and abusing substances and things of that nature um, around 14. And then that went on for a good 11 years. Um, and I was able to finally pull myself out of that dark place uh, and, and seek long-term recovery um, when I was 26. And now I'm almost 40. So, so do you think... Was there anything specific that you can think of, like like that was your moment of like, okay, enough is enough? I know the exact moment that it happened. I'm ready. Um, I <laughs> I was I was in and out of rehab, and I was I was really trying and really trying to get clean, and uh, I just couldn't do it. And I got to this point where I was so miserable using and I was so miserable when I wasn't using because all I could think about was using or yeah. being destructive in some way and I got to this place I'll never forget I was in New York City and I was um, sitting on a park bench and I was high and I started crying and I said I'm gonna die um, because I'm miserable either way and I don't know what to do and all of a sudden um, it was as if the world stopped and I kind of heard a voice within me that said, you don't have to live like this anymore. And in that moment, um, it was as if the obsession of self-destruction was lifted out of me. And I threw away the rest of my drugs and I've never gone back. You just gave me chills, you know? It's like... <laughs> it was, yeah, like it was a chilling body. moment for sure. Yeah, yeah. So then did you... After that, go into any, like, I'm going to skip ahead to question seven. Like, this young man is saying there's so many different types of treatment. Like, how, do, how did you know what treatment was right for you? Did you go to therapy? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, so there is so many different types of treatment, and thank God there is, because even though destructive behaviors look the same, the road to recovery looks different for every single person, right? Oh, I'm so um, glad you said that. Because we are individuals. Yeah, yeah. we're individuals. Um, but that the, the, that darkness does look the same. So so people get tricked into thinking there's one way to do recovery. Mm -hmm. um, 
because if there's one way to get high or there's one way to be destructive, then there must be one way to not be destructive. So for me, my journey um, took me on, and then my journey as a therapist took me on many different roads of self-discovery. Ultimately, I found that the most healing, um, the most effective way for me to heal, and I think for my clients to heal, was not so much through talk therapy, but through experiential. So I found that when we are stuck in emotional Uh, negative emotional patterns and negative thought patterns, we can't use our brain to think our way out of them because it's too stuck in the past. And uh, what we need to get out of those of those destructive patterns is to be in the present moment and to have an experience that takes us out of our past and into the present. And usually that can be through, especially with teens, art therapy, Uh, mindfulness practices such as yoga, meditation, um, music therapy. We need to get our bodies moving and kind of get out of our minds for a little bit. So that's a huge one that I've been hearing a lot about, um, I guess in the past even five years, of people saying, eh, I'm not sure about this talk therapy. Like it's just not making me feel Mm -hmm. better that I've been in therapy for 10 years and I feel like I I'm stuck. Right. <laughs> and I have to tell you a little secret. Um, so my childhood <laughs> wasn't the best, but uh, <laughs> it was different. You know, I grew up, in the, you know, they were just an abusive home and, you know, in the projects, but that's a whole nother day. But when they would want to bring me or my brother in to talk about it, where my mother would go, I'd say, you know, it just doesn't make me feel good to tell you all this stuff over and over again. It just, something just didn't seem right to me. And I was just like, I don't know about this. This just seems all kind of wacky. So I'm like, I don't think I want to go. And instead I took up dance and all I would do is dance Mm -hmm. and dance. And I was doing it on another podcast where I was actually a guest saying to them, I just wanted to dance, move, see powerful words and journal. Now, I was a kid. I didn't know why it ended up being my life, but it just innately didn't seem like logical to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. You you know, it just didn't seem logical. Now, years later, I know there's controversy on this and maybe it depends on what you're going through too. I, I don't know, but I mean... Once you get it out, I'm thinking, isn't it, shouldn't you go move on to the present moment so you don't just keep talking about it over and over again? I don't know, Heather. That's my point I of couldn't, view. I, I mean, it is, controversial. <laughs> it's, it is controversial, and I'm right on the same page as you. And I also think there's some body of evidence that starts to show this. You know, um, when we keep talking about a story and uh, our brain it truly doesn't know the difference between an internal experience and an external experience. So when we're talking about our childhood and, and we keep talking about the horrible things that happened to us and we keep repeating that we're actually causing our body to create stress hormones and to keep, and to actually keep our body in the past to bring us back to that past of what we experienced as children. And then, you know, we're 35 years old and yet we're still, our body is still kind of in the past in that toxic stress because we keep having the same beliefs and perceptions of our past experiences, if that makes Mm. sense. 
So we're essentially physically and mentally stuck. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens when people go to therapy for 10 years and they say, I just feel kind of stuck in therapy. It's like, well, yeah, because you've been talking about the same thing for 10 yeah. years. Yeah. In different ways, in yeah. how it manifests presently and how it yeah. manifests in your relationships. So what I found is that when, uh, when I stopped doing so much talk therapy and started doing Let's let's get into the body. Let's see what's going on right now. Let's do some psychodrama. Let's let's do some more experiential modes of therapy. Um, real shifts started happening with my clients, like mm. true true shifts where they started to move on, to create a future, to be in the present, to not to to behave differently in their present. Yeah. So, what is psychodrama? Oh, it's fabulous. Um, psychodrama. I mean, I think I know, but I want you to, to tell them. It, it's, it's hard to explain. It sounds very strange, but it's basically um, taking somebody back to a moment that they didn't get, let's say that they didn't get to, um, that they got stuck in, okay? So okay. let's say that they, they had some... They had some un, um, there were things left unsaid in their childhood. So you can go back into that experience through, through a group, through group work and have people represent those characters in your life. And then you say what you need to say to them. And what happens to that person is when they are put on that, what we call a stage in psychodrama. So when they're put back on that stage of their childhood, they actually turn back turn back to that child that they are now trying to protect or trying to speak for. And so all the feelings come back and now, you know, and, and all the emotions and some of the smells come back and all of those things, but they can rewrite the script and it actually takes the left brain and the right brain and integrates them together. Like I said before, the brain doesn't know the difference between an internal experience and an external experience. All we want is for them to have a different experience. And then they can take that with them moving forward. I want to go to psychodrama. I want to oh, do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it doesn't sound strange. It sounds perfectly normal and logical yeah. like to me. That makes... I'll give you my information. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. Hey, since we're all in the house here, can I do it with my cats, my dog, and my son, and my husband? I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> my dog and cats really do play parts for me. But no, that, that makes so sense. So the thing is, they're getting it out, but they're not like it, it, they're getting it out and able to like change the story by you know acting it out with the characters there. I mean, I want to put words in your mouth. Yes, they're they're able to rewrite the story by um, coming to peace with it through visuals. So yeah. so through yeah. through someone representing their mom, um, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, years mm -hmm. ago, once uh, somebody recommended to me, uh, shout out to the Handle Group, to even though my mother had passed, to write a letter to her, and that felt great. You know, just to get things out that way. You know, I don't know if you've ever done that. Yeah, that's experiential. Yeah, that, yeah, that's an experiential therapy for sure. Thought, As a matter of fact, yeah, in my psychodrama group, yeah. sometimes, yeah, sometimes what I do is have them write goodbye letters, 
um, goodbye letters to their drug of choice, goodbye letters to uh, a secret or, or you know, um, mm. an eating disorder, and then they read that letter to someone who represents that that secret or that eating disorder, and then they reverse mm. roles, and the eating disorder talks back to them, and they they get to they get to play with it, you know. You know. I love the way you think, Heather. I'm like, this makes so much sense to me. I mean, years later, I'm like, I would have loved that kind of group for sure. So yeah. let's shift gears here. And now that peeps are in their home, and I, I know a lot of people are saying, hey, I'm taking this opportunity, self-discovery, work on different things. What's some advice that you could give this young mom... For her teenage daughter, she said, Hey, Sandy, could you please ask Heather how I can help my daughter? She never was depressed that I knew of, but now being in the home so much, not around her friends, she won't even get out of bed. Please, oh, please help. Hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of parents experiencing this. Um, okay. Right, because she, she's saying that there wasn't issues before. Maybe, you know, there was, but she's saying that my girl was happy. She's an extrovert. That she didn't see it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now now she's like, what's the point? I can't go out and hang out, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, well, okay, so a couple of things, just to normalize for parents, because I know a lot of parents are feeling this way, um, that their oh. kids sleep all day. If they're teens, teens need about 8 to 10 hours of sleep at night. And then you put on top of, and then naturally they aren't able to naturally go to sleep until about 11 o'clock. Um, now okay. add to that social media, video games and screen time. And most teenagers aren't able to pull themselves away until like 2 a.m. So then you've got the, the kids sleeping till noon. So I just wanted to kind of let parents know about the, norma the normalcy. That of is not just their kid, life. right? But yeah. Exactly. It's not, it's everyone's teenager, but yeah. this is a little bit different what this mom's asking. So, um, if your, if your daughter is an, 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 if your daughter is an extrovert, um, which it sounds like this girl was, uh, is, mm -hmm. um, it is going to be more challenging for, for kids that draw energy from, from being with other people. It's, it can feel very lonely and isolating. Um, I think that connection in this time does happen through Zoom, uh, but and and things of that nature where they can go on, they can go and see their friends on you know a Zoom app or something, something like that. Yeah. But I don't think social media actually helps, um, like Instagram and things and things of that nature. Gotcha. Because Instagram is such a comparing. And such a lack-based visual, like this person has it all and I don't have that. So when you then you can't even live your life and you're looking through every through the lens of everyone else li living their life and how much better, quote unquote, better it looks than yours, it can feed that depression and that loneliness. Um, gotcha. So I, w I would suggest that this mom um, ask just stays curious with her daughter instead of um, jumping to solutions, try and get to the why she's feeling that way. And also um, have patience and, and curiosity. So you want to know why she's staying in bed all day, what she's feeling, when did this feeling start, 
Um, what kind of thoughts is she having when she feels this way? Uh, and then you'll have a better sense of the solutions, not to jump to them, like let it be. Yeah. Think that something that parents do all the time with teens is they just we just want to fix it, right? And yeah, especially with teenagers, they just want to feel seen and heard and understood. That is the biggest yeah. complaint with teens. My parents don't see me. No one understands me. They're going through oh the stage of, yeah. of wanting to be their own person with their own feelings and their own life. So the more as parents we can meet them in that unknowing and in that powerlessness and in all those crazy hormonal feelings that they're going through, the more that child is going to feel seen and, ha- and feel like they have a voice. You know, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of us want, you know, if someone tells us a problem, we want to, we, we want to come up with a solution. But my son, who is 16, says to me, Mom, I'm going to talk to you. This is what he says to me. But I want to tell you this. You ready? You have to do this. Number one, you just have to listen. And number two, you can't fix it. I just want you to listen, okay? And I thought, oh my God, he sounds like me telling something to my husband, you know? Like, there's no solution. I just want you to listen. Oh my goodness. Isn't that mm-hmm. true? Yeah. yeah. He's just, smart, We all right? just want to be heard. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, he's an introvert. And I was joking. He go, the introverts rule now because he, does, he doesn't seem like <laughs> that affected where I'm an extrovert going like, ah. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's like rising up like he's like do to do. Matter of <laughs> fact, he'll say to my husband, uh, yeah, like, could you leave the room? I need privacy. I'm like, privacy. How much more could you have? You know? Oh, it's true. As an introvert, I am thriving during this time. <laughs> I know. Introverts, Introverts are, are rolling. Rise up, baby. You know, rise <laughs> yes. up. It's your time. Everyone gets their time in the light. Uh, and yeah, you know, he was making me laugh. But let's switch gears. Big thing about food. That's how I found you, young lady. I read your amazing yeah. article. And I was like, woo, fascinating. You. So let's shift it because I don't think it's just for teens. I think food affects us all. And I'm a big component on not just what you're eating, but the first thing is how you're eating it. People think I'm completely crazy. I don't eat standing up. I don't like eating in a hurry. I have to prepare it. I like it to look nice on my plate. My little napkin, my little fork, you know, my beverage. It all has to be. And then I have to be in a relaxed state. And they're like, oh, my God, just eat it already. And by the way, I take so long (laughs) to eat. People start eating my food. Like, they can't take it anymore. Or they think I'm trying to get out of cleanup. Which probably drives you crazy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which I love cleaning up, by the way. I don't understand why people hate it because it gets me to move after dinner. But like, oh, my God, we can't handle it. A family gathering's just stopped eating. And it's not even like I'm eating a lot. I eat. I put my fork down. I chat. I eat. I drive people crazy, by the way. So I'm all about if you have some kind of victory in there for me that this is good. You make it an experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience for me. Yeah. It's an, it's an yeah. experience for you and it's an enjoyable one and you put love into it. And I bet your food tastes better than a lot of other people's because of that. Ooh, you know, we, like, we're, we're energy. Yeah. yeah. It's so it, so it creates a lot of joy for you. So is that when you're saying, let's go into that, like pay attention to what you're eating and how you're eating. I would love to hear your point of view. Yeah. So, um, 
this all goes back to mindfulness, right? So Mm -hmm. there is what I call mindless eating and there's what I call mindless living and mindless eating is very much a part of mindless living. Um, we are so busy with all of our things and all of our stuff and all of our things to do and places to go and, um, that we tend to be on autopilot much of our day. I would say 95% of our day is on autopilot. And um, that includes what we put in our mouth and, and how we eat and what we think about. So if, if we are able three to six times a day, depending on how much you snack or you know uh, how much you snack in between meals, but think about what would happen if every time you eat, you stop and take a moment to be in the present moment, to taste the food you're eating, to not um, to put all your focus on what you are doing. And so essentially, when you put the focus on what you are doing, you are putting your focus on the present moment. And in the present moment, there are almost no problems. The present moment is pretty perfect when you're in it. Usually our problems come from our past, thinking about our past or thinking about a predictable future or a future Mm. kind of um, made of dread. But when we're just in it, in the moment, um, there's nothing that we can't handle. So if we use food as a way to ground ourselves just in the now for five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes, it's going to prime us to be a little bit more conscious of the rest of our day and what we are thinking and feeling throughout our day. Does that make sense? It, you know what? Another true confession here. I am so about that 90% of my life. But if I'm a lightweight, by the way, so if I have a glass of wine, like at night at dinner, all bets are off. All of a sudden that oh, you know, relax, mindfulness, does it nourish my body, goes out the window and I'll go for something, you know, snacky because, you know, my inhibitions are down. I don't know if that's most people, but after I have a glass of wine, it's like, eh, all right. This Not that it's horrible, but this muffin's not going to hurt me, you know, at 11 at night. I, I don't know if most people find that, but if I do have tea at night, I'm much better off. I'm sure also if, you know, never go into a supermarket starving because you're going to be reaching for the sugar and the fat, you know, because those are the two things that our bodies crave. Also never go into the supermarket in a terrible mood because you're going to be looking for the sugar and the processed food. Um, Like I wrote in the article that when we are in, in states of dis-ease in our, Mm. in our mind, um, we tend to pick uh, less healthy foods um, and eat even mo- more mindless, mindlessly. So the big deal right now is going to the supermarket when you can get as calm as possible so you don't have that stuff stored in your house, you know, because if you don't yeah. have it, yep. you can't, yeah, you're not, you're not running out at the last minute to get it, so... Even if you do have some of it, I tell people, I really do believe in out of sight, out of mind. Like if it's away in a cabinet, don't you think you have to think about it more than just sitting out in a basket or up on your kitchen counter? I I couldn't agree more. And, and I think also it's just like your room. If you, you know, walking into a clean room with your bed made, it makes you feel a certain way. Whereas walking into a, a 
a, a room that is just a mess and there's clothes all over the floor and the bed's a mess, it makes you feel a certain way. It's the same Absolutely. thing in the kitchen. Opening a fridge where there's fruits and vegetables and all these different colors and um, scents and all those things is very different than walking into a kitchen that has lots of processed, plastic-wrapped um, junk food in it. Mm. You know what? You're right, because we've been doing a lot more cooking and grilling. And when I open the refrigerator, I feel so happy. I actually have a full refrigerator. I'm like, woohoo. Same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. I got so many choices. Now, I'm not gardening, but I see that, you know, you're a big component of gardening. I do like gardening, but I don't have that much. I have lots and lots of flowers, maybe some herbs and a few veggies, but... You're a big gardener, huh? But that's that that's great too. Yeah, I uh, we definitely implement gardening into um, into our our mental health centers at Newport Academy. It's like a big part of our program. Oh. Um, we just know from research that getting our hands dirty and cultivating our own food and being a part of that that life process um, it creates self esteem. It creates. Um, just a really great sense of accomplishment that, you know, like, look what I grew, look what I helped maintain and give life to. It's, it's actually a beautiful form of being a creator. Um, so it creates confidence, it creates self-esteem, it creates mindfulness, it creates presence. Um, it's just a wonderful creative opportunity to, to, to give to our kids. Well, I know even when I, you know, plant tomatoes and I get to put a tomato in my salad or a cucumber. I mean, I get so excited. Like, I did this, you know, this is my tomato. Yeah. It, it means more. It's something, yeah, it's something so little. So do you, you garden a lot, like, in your home? Like, do you have something inside? Like, do you garden all year long? What do you do, Heather? What, so we have herb gardens, just kind of like you. It's, it's small, um, what I do. Yeah. And we have plans of creating, um, of creating much bigger uh, garden in, in our home. We also have future plans of having a farm and really, really being able to live Ooh. off the land. Although good friends of ours have a biodynamic farm, so we take the kids up there every weekend and they get to watch watch the plants grow and kind of see what that process looks like and play with you know play with the pigs and all the animals that kind of contribute to that cycle and it's it's just a wonderful wonderful experience yeah my neighbor we live in the suburbs and you're not supposed to have it but he uh had pigs and chickens and all this in his backyard and the neighbors would complain and be like no I love it you know I don't even live on a farm and he's hiding a little pot belly pig back there and I get fresh eggs oh my gosh oh it was like yeah the rooster would catch up early in the morning but it was fun you know and it yeah. just put a smile on my, my parents face. My parents had a farm when we were little in Virginia, and we would go there almost uh, many weekends um, during the year, and we would just work on the farm. And it was amazing the different values it taught us as children, my sisters and I. My friend, who is a vet tech, and she used to work for the YMCA, so she's always getting these different animals that people say, we don't know what to do with this, where are we going? The mother rejected, and 
there was a baby lamb. I think something happened. I had to take it to the hospital. So there was a smell. So the mother rejected it. So I got to see in my home a couple months ago, this baby lamb, one day old, and she brought it in and it had a diaper on it. And it was like, oh my God. And we called it August. And um, Megan, who's my business manager, was here. She's like, Sandy, that was the best day of my life. I go, what do you mean? She goes, to see life that young, like when do I get to see a one day old lamb, you know? And it was just so cute. Yeah. And it had this little diaper. And I sent that picture all over and they're like, oh my God, like, thanks for sharing that, you know, just to see. Oh, by the way, the interaction with the dog, it couldn't figure it out and the cats, but they weren't scared of it. They were just intrigued with it. And the only thing, (laughs) if anything, they were jealous of it. Like when we'd give it like hugs and cuddles and all that, but just to see you know, trying to walk and jump and, oh, she was feeding it a bottle. It was crazy, you know, just to see something like that. So yeah, how often do you get to do it? Then she called me up a month later. She goes, okay, I have a calf and it's in my mom's back garage. It's hiding out. We're hiding it till we can find a home for a calf. Do you know anybody? And I was like, "Uh, Jen, I don't know anybody that wants a calf, you know? It was so fun. It puts a (laughs) smile. That's incredible. Yeah. And I don't live in the countryside. It's like, and then last year, everyone's like, where do you live? I go, I swear to you in the suburbs of Philly, but we had a family of raccoons in our basement and I don't know how they got there, but mama and five babies were down there eating with my four cats and it started thinking they were cats. And I said to my husband, Oh no, no. He goes, can we keep them? I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. The, we can't domesticate raccoons. So we found the farm for it. And I think that was the best thing, but they just wow. kept coming in and out the window, eating the cat's food, just thinking, Oh, I guess my cat, you know, it was fun. Wow. It made you smile. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. But anywho, mother nature, farming, getting your hands dirty. I mean, it just, it's so healing and it's so relaxing, no matter what you can plant or what you can do. And I am not a big cook, but I, I do sous chef. So I'm a good chopper or assistant. And I know that's so important. I mean, it does make me feel happy. And I know you said to involve the kids in it because it brings out their creative juices. Yep, absolutely. And I have um, a three-year-old. So, you know, that's a that's a a challenging age for as far as power and um, defiance goes. But when I get (laughs) my son in the kitchen and he's working, and it's also a very picky eating age and all that stuff. But when he's cooking his own food or helping me cook, he eats it and he enjoys it. And he has this focus that I have, that I only see when I'm reading books to him. It's, it's that same sort of focus of just taking the moment in it's really beautiful to watch. So um, I highly recommend getting children involved in food. We also see it with our teens at Newport. We have cooking classes with them and the focus and well-being they feel afterwards. Um, it actually, when you're really focused on something like what you said before about dance yeah. uh, or you, or um, art, art does this as well, or really high intensity sports. Uh, sports, they call it a flow state. And it's actually when our brain waves go into alpha. And alpha brain waves are when we, we are in alpha brain waves and we are in a trance. So um, we feel incredibly calm, 
intense mm. amount of focus, but most importantly, there is coherence in our brain. It's actually mm. a state of healing our brain. It goes, our brain is no longer in high stress, high analytical, high beta brain waves. It's in a much more calmed, coherent, and focused brain wave. And that is a wonderful state to be in yeah. for, for a certain amount of time during the day. So it doesn't matter if it's cooking, like you said, dancing, drawing, anything that brings out those creative juices, writing. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, everything that you said in the beginning, how when you were a teen, you just journaled and you danced. And like that was, that's what you wanted to do. Um, unknowingly, what you were doing was actually healing yourself through your body and your mind by focusing your mind on something very present and very healing. Uh, and so, yes, I wrote this article as, um, as how food can be this and all the different mechanisms that food can have on healing. But this is, that article can be taken to uh, expand to anything that we are mindfully doing. Because when we're mindfully doing something, it's about the experience, what the feeling that the experience brings into us. If it brings a sense of well-being and connection, the brain remembers, huh, how did I feel that connection? Oh, I felt it by dancing or cooking or being with loved ones. And then it seeks to recreate that experience again. Ooh, you know what, which brings me, I wanna make sure I get this young man's question. Hey, Sandy, I hear you talk a lot about mindfulness and meditation. I definitely think I'm mindful a lot, but I really don't get the meditation. Do I have to meditate to be mindful? Good question, Heather. That's a good question. Oh, it is a good question. And I totally understand why people get stuck with meditation. So in my experience with meditation, it doesn't have to be just focusing on the breath and not having thoughts or just letting your thoughts pass, you know, pass through your mind. Um, meditation can be through a mantra, so uh, saying an ancient word again and again and again, or just an elevated word like love, gratitude, things of that nature. It mm -hmm. can be about... Um, it can be about manifesting a future for yourself that, that can be very creative. So you get to a place of, um, in your meditation, you can focus on the breath, but then you can create the day you want. Like, I want to be in gratitude today. Okay, so what does that feel like? And then you get to an elevated state of gratitude, and then you imagine your day through that lens, and you live your life through that lens of gratitude. And that can be really fun. I do that almost daily. Um, and it actually changes the way you show up in your life because you show up with more gratitude and more humility and more, um, and more love and intention. So meditation doesn't just have to be sitting in silence. It can also be chanting. That's, that's a huge way to build coherency and mindfulness in your mind. Mm. Can you be mindful without meditation? Yes. However, um, uh -oh. mindfulness, <laughs> mindfulness is being present right? It's being in the present moment without thoughts of the past or thoughts of the future uh, muddling it, right? So it's kind right? of just being as is and, and in a focused state. What I found is that to be uh, meditation is almost the practice ground for the game of mindfulness, right? So the more we practice something, 
the more we're going to be able to uh, win the game. Like, you know, but, but, so the more that we practice soccer, the better we're going to be when, when, we, when, we come up, uh, when we come up in the game and want to win. So yeah. I find yeah. that meditation is my focused practice, 20 minutes a day. And then for the rest of the day, I've already set the tone. So I find that meditation sets the tone for mindfulness the rest of the day. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? I sometimes do the mantra. Sometimes I do just the breathing. And sometimes, like lately, I've been doing a guided meditation by an individual that I, yeah, which I love, you know, three days a week. And it starts in the morning. And it's for 20 minutes. And so there's not just one way for me to get in the headset and really just depends on how I'm feeling that day. Uh, my question, yeah. yeah, you know, is... Oh, let me add something, too, to that. Cool. Uh, we do know that meditation actually, um, it, it has, it, it ha- being in a state of meditation just for 10 minutes a day is going to uh, lower depression, lower your anxiety. It's going to actually, 20 minutes a day is going to give you all the benefits that an antidepressant will give you with none of the side effects on a daily basis. Amen, so sister. Mindful, <laughs> right? So mindfulness is different, you know, than meditation because meditation is a focus. We're taking away all the sensory sensory input. So we're closing our eyes and we're being quiet and we're just getting in that zone. So, so it is different than mindfulness and the benefits are different than mindfulness. I hope that answers this question. You know, is there any guided meditations that you recommend or I, you know, there's so many, I tell people, you know, if you go on YouTube, you can find a million. Yeah. Um, I love the Calm app, C-A-L-M. They have oh, 10 okay. minute, 20 minute and 30 minute meditations and oh, cool. um, they have all different. I mean, you want a meditation for gratitude. You can have a meditation for um, focus and sports. I mean, they have like LeBron James doing a, medita- a guided meditation on, on focusing your mind to be the best athlete. They have manifestation mm. meditations. They have everything. Ooh, um, I never heard of that. So I love that app. And then right, cool. uh, right now for myself, I'm doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations, which are pretty uh, long. They're about 45 <laughs> minute to 56 yeah. minutes. Well, that's a whole nother area that I've, that's I a did whole him. other dimension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did him. I bought all his book and I did Quantum. a series months ago and it's like, woo, that'll take you. That, yeah. That's for a lot. You know, I, I say that there's entry level A, B, C, D. He's E, I think, Heather, but I loved it. Yeah. yeah. That's going quantum. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> But I could see much needed right now. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. definitely, I'm on that journey. It's amazing so far. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's a great guy. So, all right, mm-hmm. let me get one more question in here then. Okay. All right, it's from a young lady. Let's see, she's 13. I see, oh, hi. I know, I know. I seem to have a lot of anxiety still around my schoolwork. I just can't keep up with it and I just don't feel good enough. Please tell everyone to back off. Oh my God. Mm. I don't even know what From to say to that. your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, I, I, I have to, I mean, this is, I, I know I, that 
some people won't agree with me here, but I think that the stress this generation is under at uh, t- uh, teens is is unlike any other. Um, they have oh, the I stress agree. of school, and th- yeah, on top of the stress of social media and everything else, it's it's uh, it's no joke. And I wish that they had more of a break um, in some sector. And I believe that, um, and I do believe that our school system is not set up for many students to succeed, that our education system is, is a bit broken and needs, and needs a, a serious update. We have a population of teens right now that is more depressed, more anxious, and more suicidal than ever before in history since we started looking at, uh, since we started looking at stats. And, um, so my heart goes out to you and I've been there. I was a special, um, I was a learning, you know, quote unquote, learning disabled child, um, and had lots of issues with learning in school. Mm -hmm. And I, if I could say just one word of advice is your path will reveal itself. And when it does, you will have all the information and capacities that you will ever need because you'll be interested in what you want to learn and interested in what you want to do. So have grace with yourself and, um, and just, uh, do the best you can. And that's, and that's all we can do. Just do the best you can. And what your best is, might not be up to the standards of the teachers and your parents, but it's still yours. And, mm. that's what, and that's what I think kids really need to know is what their best is. What their best is? Huh, that's a big question. What their best yeah. is, you know? Because you're right. I mean, even if they could be Only they know that. Yeah, it could be well-meaning and loving teachers and parents... But that doesn't mean it's not adding extra pressure to you. I, I hear from so many kids the same thing, like that they they just don't want to disappoint, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the school system is set up for um, a for it's 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 very much in a box, you know. It's it's everyone's going to learn in this way, and anyone who doesn't fit into this box or their brain doesn't fit into this box, then they have difficulty learning. And it's, that's just not, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe it. You know, um, Einstein was a terrible student and he created the atom bomb. I mean, it's just, there's too many people in my life and in history that have shown us otherwise. There's not just one way to learn. Absolutely. And you're right. A lot of like, you know, the schools, they have standards and, you know, they want to get certain funding from the state. And so, they feel as if the majority of kids can do this, so they push them through that way. But that being said, Heather, I've heard recently in a lot of different school districts from a lot of different counselors that they're at the tipping point because there's too many kids. They can't keep up with it, like you said, that yeah. are doing outpatient stuff, inpatient stuff, that are just saying, yeah. no mas, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, slow things down. I'll, like, I'll, right? I'll, I'll yeah. I'll also say this. I think that our culture is set up um, with with the belief of 
if I get good grades, if I get the boyfriend, if I get the girlfriend, if I go to college, if I go to the right school, if I get the right job, if I make the right amount of money, if I have the right amount of kids, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. And what, these, what is happening to these children is they are calling BS on our system. They're saying, <laughs> I want to be happy now. Why can't I yeah. be happy now? And, yeah. and, and that is a real question we need to be looking at as parents is why are we perpetuating this lie? Why don't we start teaching them how to be happy now? And, and the only way I know as to how to be happy now is to become present in our lives with what is happening with each other and, and uh, individually. You know what, Heather? Um, I hear people say all the time, Oh, those were the best days, right? The glory days, you know? And they talk about high school or college. And then they get married and they're like, yeah, that's was so much easier. But yet, they say the opposite to their kids. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, and so it's... Yeah, that's I, really interesting. Yeah, because I don't feel that way, you know? I feel like, hey, the better it gets, the better it gets. And I'm going to make the most of every year, but I hear so many people, you know, and I get it. There was a lot less pressure, a lot less stress when you didn't have a family, a house and all this other stuff, responsibility and jobs and careers and all that. But then they say to their kids and they don't even hear themselves, but I know it's because that's what their parents taught them. Like, this is what you do. And then life's good. You got the picket fence. And I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I will also... Oh, I was just going to say that when somebody tells me those were the glory days when I was 16 and what they're really saying to me is nothing really has happened in my life because I'm still doing the same things and thinking the same thoughts and feeling the same feelings. And so nothing, everything is really predictable for me and I'm living in a predictable future and I'm not really creating anything new. So the only thing I have to make me feel better about this is to go back to those old feelings of novelty and newness when I was 16. Mm, I get it. So what I, I say, yeah, what I, I love that. that's what I'm, you, do you know what I mean? So it's more about, yeah. well, why can't today be a glory day? Why can't some, you know, you're yeah. responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yay for the youth. Woohoo. I, I love it. Yeah. Why can't <laughs> I be happy now? You, you know, they should say to their parents, well, you're saying the happiest days is when you were my age. So well, then why should I be happy now? There you go. Heather, this has been great. I think there's a lot of information here that you've given people and it's been really helpful and I enjoy talking to you. But before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't get in that you want to say? I think we've covered everything. This has been so enjoyable. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And how can they find you, Heather? They can find me. uh, I am... Um, on the Newport Academy uh, staff, Newport Academy website, um, so they can find okay. me there. My, let me give you my. Should I give you my email address? Yes, absolutely. Okay, it is h Monroe at okay. newportacademy.com. I'd love to hear from your kids or anybody um, with questions or anything that you know that that they that they have to tell me or um, any of their own you know, insights into this talk. Well, thank you, Heather. 
I know my Let's Keep a Real people have enjoyed this conversation, and there's so much we can apply, not just to teens, but our own lives. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.